Welcome to Daybreak Devotions, a podcast version of the daily radio ministry of the McLeansville Baptist Church with your host, Pastors Mike Barnett and Corey Cantrell. And welcome back to Daybreak Devotions on this wonderful Wednesday morning where we are celebrating all things church and Jesus Christ. Well, those are good things to celebrate for sure. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to All Saints Day as we, uh, November the 1st, by the way, of this year in our of our Lord, 2023. Did you know today is All Saints Day? I was vaguely aware. You should know, because yesterday was the Day of the Dead. Yep. Otherwise known as Halloween. Yep. I hope everybody had a great time. So uh, what is All Saints Day? This is relevant to the discussion we're going to have, because here in just a moment, we're going to talk about Reformation Day. More to say about that in a moment. That's right, folks. You tuned in to the jam-packed, wild, and woolly Wednesday of, what are we called? Daybreak Daybreak Devotions. Devotions. Yeah, we're breaking the day wide open here. All Saints Day, that's November the 1st. It was established in the early Christian church as a day to remember and celebrate the martyrs and other saints who had died for their faith. And I'm just taking that straight off of Christianity.com. What is All Saints Day? Also known as All Hallows Day. Therefore, yesterday, All All Hallows Hallows Eve. Eve. Um, But anyway... Uh, it is to remember all of those uh, those saints who have lived righteous and holy lives in accordance with the Christian teaching and have died for their faith. So there you have it. Originally for martyrs, I, I guess maybe it's become all-inclusive now. By the way, I will admit this is sort of one of those probably more Catholic in origin things. And, you know, they have declared saints, and, mm-hmm. of course, we, we know we've believe the Bible's teaching that all who are in Christ Jesus are made saints in him. But anyway, it's just interesting church history to think about, and because it leads us into today's uh, topic of discussion, again, I'll introduce that in just a moment. But uh, it is Wednesday, and since we're talking about all this stuff, let's have a, a word of the week that'll that'll be very fitting. Ladies and gentlemen, this week's Wednesday's Word of the Week. Uh, so anyway, I've got this word of the day, and uh, this one, because we're, we're actually going back to yesterday with our topic today, uh, here's the word. This comes from yesterday. This was yesterday's official word of the day. Okay. Eldritch, E-L-D-R-I-T-C-H, Eldritch. Okay. We're going to let you take a shot in the dark at what that is. Oh, man, I hate when you do that, especially when it's a word that I've heard before. You have heard this before? I'm pretty sure I just read this word not long ago. Oh, that's interesting. Um, but I can't remember the context of it, so we're going to say uh, a scary or life-threatening situation. Hmm. Well, I suppose a scary or life-threatening situation could be an eldritch type of thing. Okay. Uh, I thought maybe eldritch, E-L-D-R-I-T-C-H, you might guess like an elder witch. Oh, like a senior witch. Yeah. Like a witch that's been there a while. Yeah. She's she's high on the seniority list. Yep. Uh, but no, that would not be correct either. Eldritch describes things that are strange or unnatural, like spam. <laughs> Especially in a way that inspires fear. Yeah, okay. Like soy milk. <laughs> the word is often used as a synonym for eerie, as in the lake. Okay. 
No, no, that's a different Erie. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's a, that's a one E Erie. Yeah. Uh, that's a, actually is a two E Erie, and this is a three E Erie. E E R I E. E E R I E. Yep. Uh, used in a sentence. She's afraid to visit haunted houses because the eldritch decor and sound effects are too realistic for her liking. Okay. Uh, did you know this? Words like curse, cobweb, witch, ghost, and even Halloween. All of these potentially spooky words have roots in Old English. Eldritch, although less common, is another, hailing from a time when otherworldly beings were commonly thought to inhabit the earth, which gave spooky. rise to Scooby-Doo cartoons, I'm sure. <laughs> Dates all the way back to the 16th, 16th century and may have, it, have its origin in the Middle English word Elfrich, meaning fairyland. That being said, we'll just let that go. Find a way to use the word Eldritch today. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is this week's Wednesday Word of the Week. So uh, let's get down to it. Today we're looking at Reformation Day. You know, I mentioned last week that we wanted to use this program as a way to educate and remind the audience of some of the great moments in church history, or just to point out key events that have shaped the church throughout the centuries. Well, we missed doing that yesterday because we had a How-To Tuesday to take care of, let's back up today and talk about one of the most significant events in the history of the church, which took place 506 years ago. That's quick math. Actually, I was just double-checking my math. Oh. Uh, it was October 31st, 1517. Uh, Catholic monk Martin Luther, also a theological teacher, a theology teacher of his time. Would they call them professors back then? The 1500s, maybe? I don't know. Theologians? He was a theologian, but it was on that day, October 31st, 1517, six years ago yesterday, that he posted his 95 theses to the door of the All Saints Church uh, at the Wittenberg Castle there in Germany. This was, of course, still a time where they were under Roman uh, uh, power. Roman Catholicism was the force to be reckoned with. And Luther reckoned with it, though uh, as, as those who have looked into the history, and we are doing that a little bit today, understand Luther was not intending what eventually happened, which is what we now know as the Reformation of the Church and his ultimate excommunication from the Catholic Church by Pope Leo X in 1521. So this thing went on for quite a while. It's interesting, I was doing some other reading just to kind of flesh that out a little more this is, uh, this is written by Meg Buker, a writer and author, on what Christians need to know about the Reformation. This was put out October 30th of 2021, it's a couple years ago. But I just want to read straight from this, because I thought she uh, expressed this or opened it up very well. Martin Luther is quoted as saying, The Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. It lays hold of me. Reform, end of quote, reform signifies an improvement upon or ridding of oppression or evil by providing a better way. Reformation exposes corruption in an aim to make things better. Contrary to what the Catholic Church of Martin Luther's day proclaimed as truth, Luther poured over Scripture to find there was no penance required or good work needed to earn righteous standing with God. Through Jesus, our faith allows us to confess our sins and repent, becoming more sanctified by the day as we reach closer to the gates of heaven. She went on to say this, The purpose of Luther's call for reform came to be known as the five solas. Now these are important. 
and and I can go ahead and tell you that what we want to talk about today, I wrote down five, four or five questions here. What is the Reformation, which we're kind of answering right now historically? Why does it matter to us 506 years later? And I think that's an important question. And, and on that question then builds this one, what are we to do with this? And then I would add, what is the difference between what we hear about modern deconstructionism and a biblical reformation? Now, we don't have time to really do a lot on all this today, but I think those are good questions to raise. I thought these scriptures were not just something to fill space and time here, but actually very relevant to this discussion today on you know, what, it, what was this Reformation, and more to the point of, would we still need Reformation now? And is Reformation something that should happen ongoing? So in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus makes, makes this statement. After he's been approached by the religious leaders and even the disciples of John, and they're questioning him about things, he says this, No man, this is Matthew nine sixteen. No man putteth a piece of new cloth into an old garment, for that which is put in to fill it up taketh from the garment, and the rent is made worse. Okay, the old material can't handle the new material stitched into it. It'll just tear it even more. Neither do men put new wine into old bottles, else the bottles break and the wine runneth out, and the bottles perish. But they put new wine into new bottles, and both are preserved. Where we have people say, well, you know, anything that you hear that's new, well, Jesus said there comes a time where there's new wine, but let's think about that illustration. It's new wine. It's not a new thing. It's wine. It's the same basic stuff, but here's here's a fresh serving of it. It's a fresh batch. The fresh batch can't go in the bottles that you that you set out and cured 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. It will burst the bottles. The wine gets lost, i.e., this is why a lot of our churches that are stuck in 40 and 50 years ago are dying. Yep. But I hasten to Matthew 16, and this is where Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? Then he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers in verse 18 and says that uh, that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, verse 16. But then verse 18, Jesus says, and I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So for whatever else that means or doesn't mean, we know this. Jesus says, number one, my church will continue to move forward because it's my church. I'm Lord. I'm the Savior. It will progress. But I'm giving to you, as the leaders of the church, keys, responsibility. You're the gatekeepers. So if we say it that way, I believe that there's going to constantly be this need to look it over, think it through, where are we, what do we need to fix, that's part of Reformation. And then finally, I think pertinent to this conversation is Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. When does that happen, by the way? Well, 20 years ago, I got... Whoa, whoa, whoa. If, if that's where you're stuck, you need some reformation in your life. Mm-hmm. And, and we'll say more about this at some point in this discussion. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your minds, not a one-and-done thing. That is an ongoing process of renewal, of Christ taking over you and you dying to self and letting Jesus become the true Lord and master of your life. That's what Paul was saying, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So 
Let's talk about the Reformation some more. Let me come back to what she wrote here, uh, in just, just another paragraph from the article. The purpose of Luther's call for reform came to be known as the five solas. So here's the five solas, and that's a Latin word. This uh, sola scripture, I mean scripture alone. Sola fide, faith alone. Sola gratia, grace alone. And solus Christus, Christ alone. And uh, sola dea gloria, uh, which is to the glory of God alone. So those were the five alones or sayings or slogans that came out of the Reformation. Now, let's just hear those again without going through the whole thing. Here's the five. Scripture alone. That's a foundation of faith right there, and that was Luther's thing. It is Scripture that we stand on. We have to stand on the Bible, what the Bible says. Not tradition, not the, not the authority of men when they're not standing on Scripture, but on Scripture alone. Faith alone. In other words, Luther did the, the thing, right, the battle between faith and works, and he says it's not works that, that saves us. It's, it's faith in Christ alone, grace alone. It is by grace alone that we are saved through that, that work of faith or that thing of believing on Jesus. So uh, it is Christ alone. It is not the church that saves us. It is through Christ. It is not our denominationalism. It is not the tradition we hold. None of that. It is Christ alone and to the glory of God alone, that all things are ultimately for the glory of God. And whatever we do that detracts from that, we should separate from kind of sad to think about of course it's even sadder as i'm sure we'll talk about to see how this is repeating itself but it's sad to think that those five things as as like obvious as they sound well like well yeah i mean everybody believes that it's sad that those had to be like special points of emphasis that were driven home as the result of conflict in the church like you ask anybody hey, this is the five things that we stand on, and they're going to say, oh, well, well, yeah, I mean, obviously. But so often we find out that those five things are really not at all what our true emphasis is. Because we don't, we don't understand them. You, know, you can ask somebody, and they may say yes, but they don't really understand what they mean. Mm-hmm. And, and then when you peel it back, you see that while they say yes, I agree with that, they've been conditioned to believe other than that. Yeah, And... Luther felt so free. I mean, now, let me put a disclaimer. I am no authority on Luther or the Reformation. So what we're doing here is what I said we'd like to do, which is take some time on a broadcast, talk about major events in church history. But what little we do know, maybe between us about Luther, I would tell you that Luther was very moved by Scripture out of what he felt was, and had never he never really was able to come to terms with it until he did understand Galatians was his book, right? Galatians and Romans were key for Luther. But when he learned the freedom that he had in Jesus, I mean, it set him free. Mm-hmm. He was like a man who had been in prison and in bondage until he realized that it was those things right there that had made him free, and so he was not bound. There's so much, there's such a heavy burden that comes with religion and tradition when it gets heaped on top of people, and we don't think especially some of our circles today. We don't think we live like that. But, boy, if we could only have our eyes open to see, many times that's exactly what we do. In fact, we could take these five things right here and turn them into uh, doctrines and commandments of men just like that and completely lose sight of what they're intended. Just like, you know, we've talked about the Sabbath. That's what the Sabbath, that's what happened with the Sabbath. It was simply God said, hey, stop, cease, rest, celebrate. Simple. Don't work today. 
just worship and enjoy your life. But then it got turned into probably a book four inches thick of yep. all the rules. Anyway, just to finish out this reading here, Luther sought to return the focus of faith back to the source of it, Jesus. He stood trial at the Diet of Worms. It always sounds horrible. That's an Eldritch, Eldritch kind of thing right there, the Diet of Worms. You are, that's, that's it. No bread and water. Uh-uh. <laughs> the bucket of worms. Just basically, it means that it was the council or the trial there in, as you said, it was probably pronounced... Worms. Worms. You are a resident uh, European word explainer. Oh. Me, I just go with worms. It's yeah. worms. <laughs> anyway, after which, get this, after which he hid under the care of Frederick the Wise under the name Junker George. J-O-R-G. How would you say that? George? Junker George? Yeah. Anyway, so changed his name and went into hiding. But look, out of that, that time, that season of his life, um, Luther translated the New Testament into German and made possible for people to read and sing in their own language at church, contrary to Catholic Mass, which was solely in Latin at the time. And in hiding, Luther clung to Psalm 46, which says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And so, you know, I don't care where you come from. I don't care what you know or don't know. Assuming that what I just read to you, which are the bare facts, are in fact truth, there is a cause for all of us to celebrate Reformation Day and say, praise God that there was a man who, who what, he didn't set out to cause a big stir. He just said, and get this, he said, can we talk about these things? Mm -hmm. That was his whole premise. You know, it's, it's kind of presented that you know, we've all heard Luther went and nailed it to the door. And and some say it's possible he just went up and hung a notice on the door. Like it wasn't some big theatrical thing. Because I have in front of me here printed off the 95 Theses. And basically, if you read the opening, the, the header of this, before he gets into these 95 things, he says, out of love for the truth and from desire to elucidate it, or help us see the truth, enlighten, shine light on it, the Reverend Father Martin Luther, Master of Arts and Sacred Theology, an ordinary lecturer therein at Wittenberg, intends to defend the following statements and to dispute on them in that place. Therefore he asks that those who cannot be present and dispute with him orally shall do so in their absence by letter. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. What that basically says, Luther said, look, today we would put a post out on, on social media and we would say, hey, on Thursday night, Martin's going to, you know, Preacher Martin, Brother Martin's going to give a lecture on some concerns he has with certain practices in the church. He welcomes anybody to come in here and offer their Rebuttal. rebuttals, mm -hmm. their arguments, their questions. And, of course, still, if we were doing it modern, he'd say, and it will be posted on Facebook Live, and you can write in your questions afterwards, to which I promise to do my best to respond. Yeah. This is what Luther was doing. He was basically inviting a debate. Yes, and that has become a dirty word in oh, our yes, it has. society. Argument and debate sounds like fighting. Yes. And it's not. It's like discussion. And the biggest thing for me, it was such a takeaway. Let me, let me read this quote right here. I'm, I, I was going to read some scriptures. I'm going to. Again, um, Luther wrote to Albrecht, Archbishop of Mainz and Magdeburg. Again, I told you I'm no expert on these words. Basically, this was the cardinal, the chief guy in his area, okay, in Germany there. And he sent a copy of his, quote, disputation, which turned into the 95 Theses. He sent that to this cardinal, the same thing that he put on the door. So, again, he was doing it to invite, hey, I've got questions. 
you know, I've been I've been in this I've been in the ministry for years, and I'm looking at what the Scripture says, and I I don't think we're getting some stuff right. Yeah. Okay. Hans Hildebrand wrote that Luther had no intention of confronting the church, but saw his disputation as a scholarly objection to church practices, and the tone of the writing is accordingly searching rather than doctrinary. In other words, I just want to ask some questions. Is it okay for us to have a discussion about whether or not some of the stuff we've been doing for years is actually in line with Scripture? Bum, bum, bum! <laughs> I'm, I'm listening to all this, and I still... I think the most significant thing that I've heard, like, from what you've read, that what Luther accomplished in this time period as a result of all this was that he translated the New Testament into German so that everyone could read it in their own language. I think that is one of the things that we, in 2023 America, have a hard time comprehending because we are so saturated with Scripture and Mm -hmm. everybody has a copy of the Bible and everybody can just go read it for themselves and make their own interpretations and come to their own conclusions and everybody can post their 95 thesis on their Facebook page and all this kind of stuff. In this day and age... The common people were left to the interpretation of the, the, the priest and the minister who was preaching Mass that day. They didn't have copies of Scripture at home. They couldn't go home and read and discover for themselves, which heightens the significance of what Martin Luther was doing. Hey, folks, we're actually responsible for the spiritual care and well-being of thousands of people. We may want to make sure that we're actually doing justice to God's Word. So what did he do? He put the scripture in the common language to where people could read and study it for themselves. Now, fast forward to us today, and what do we do? We got 85 copies of it in the house, but we don't need to read it for ourselves because we're perfectly fine, well, and content to let the other 85 people in our life just tell us what we ought to think and believe anyways. There's a balance that was struck in this where you had people could now read the Bible for themselves, but they also were reading it to follow the teaching of the ones who had been equipped to instruct them. Yes. So there was the biblical truth about the role of the pastor and the role of the church to provide discipleship and teaching, but then for you to be able to go home and and follow that up and read the Scriptures and see what was the preacher talking about. And then listen, here's a guy that is one of the most significant names in church history. I mean, he's just ranking under the apostles as far as like people that have made an impact who was saying, I welcome people to question me because that's what I'm doing. I'm questioning tradition to make sure we're in line with Scripture, and I want you to come bring your questions to me. Oh, that we would have that kind of a reformation in our day. So we're answering several of the questions I posed there. Why why does this matter to us 506 years later? Well, number one, I mean, Martin Luther started this trend of let's give the people the Bible in their Mm -hmm. language. But also... It does us good to come back to this understanding that the church always goes through periods of time where we need reformation. Let's go back to the scriptures we read earlier. There's going to be always need for ongoing reformation in the church. In fact, um, here's another here's another article that I brought. Uh, I'll just read a piece of this. This was written by Michael Horton, professor of systematic theology and apologetics at Westminster Seminary in California. Don't know a lot about him, but I just want to make sure I'm, I'm giving credit to where it's due. He says, uh, in, into this question, why do we need a new reformation? So why, why would there be a call for a new reformation? Which I want to say, 
to the listener, oh, is there a call for some new reformation? Well, there should be. There should always be, and that's the point that we're making here. So he said, when Luther uncovered the theological scandal, the fragile Roman scaffolding began to creak. The essentials of the Reformation were doctrinal. It was part of the Renaissance to call for a return to the original sources. So it made sense that Christian scholars returned not only to the great classics of Western civilization and to the early fathers, but to the biblical text itself. Ah, get back to the Bible. That's me. Sorry, inserted that. So the Reformation was the great, back to the article, so the Reformation was the greatest back-to-the-Bible movement in the history of the church since the death of the apostles. But they went back to the Bible not simply as an end in itself, but in, can I interrupt right there and say, not so they could say, bless God, we're the, we're the people that are true to Scripture. Yeah. I mean, nobody else believes the Bible like we do. Amen? I see y'all at KFC after this. Praise God. All right, back to the reading. But they went back to the Bible not simply as an end in itself, but in order to recover the essential truths that the Bible proclaimed and that the church alone had either forgotten or actually rejected. That is major, major, major line right there. They did it, in other words, to recover. He says to recover the essential truths that the Bible proclaimed and that the church had either forgotten or actually rejected. So when we say, why does this even matter to us today, and do we need ongoing reformation, the answer is yes. And I believe that one of the reasons it's important to talk about this is because we are not just reformed, okay? So 500 and some years ago, we had this reformation. There was a reform that happened, right? No, we ought to always be reforming. And, and, and by that, we mean we've got to look at where we are. Let me, let me say this. Here's an analogy. If we think of the church as a ship on the sea, which has been a classic way of thinking of the church, or as an airplane, you know, flying in the skies, there's always a need to adjust the sails, the, uh, I don't know all the words on the airplane stuff, but, you know, the, the tack has mm-hmm. to be adjusted. There's always a need for reform, reset, to stay on the right course, given whatever the current situation of the times is. So whether it's the conditions at sea that change and the ship has to be adjusted, whether it's in the air, uh, the turbulence, the pressure, whatever, that has to be adjusted so you can stay the course. If we say, well, you know, back 200 years ago, we we got this thing right. We're going to stay with the book right here, right? Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What if that's no longer actually on course now? So it's now it's not truth. It's just a tradition that's no longer aligned with the truth. Or what if, yeah, 200 years ago, they really did get it right, and you had people whose hearts were given wholly and completely to Jesus? Wonderful. They're dead and gone, which means we have a whole new crop of broken people that need to go through the same process that those two people 200 years ago did. We can't ride the coattails of their success and assume that just because they got it right, we were born and bred in the right way as well. We come into this world just as broken and damaged as anybody else. So, yes, the church should be constantly reforming because the church is constantly being filled with broken people who need the continued healing of Jesus throughout their life. Well, we're going to have to come back and talk about this some more tomorrow because i got more things I'd like to say. All right. And I can tell you do too. I'm excited about this conversation. All right. So we'll see you tomorrow. And we thank you for joining us on today's program. 
We hope that you'll tune in with us each and every day right here on Daybreak Devotions as Pastor Mike and I will discuss various topics in God's Word. If you've got any questions, comments, we would love to hear from you at daybreakdevotion at gmail.com.